Backpack Media, I'm Trevor Muir, and you are listening to Stories from School. This is a show where real people tell real stories from their school experiences. All of us, whether rich or poor, girl or boy, young or old, from the city or the country, all of us went to school in some way, shape, or form. It wasn't always fun. In fact, it was sometimes awful and boring and tedious and challenging and enlightening and scary and an adventure. It was school. We all did it. And if you're a teacher or a parent or a student, you're still doing it. And quite often, it can make for some really great stories. Stories that make us laugh and sometimes cry and reminisce with nostalgia. These stories have the power to move us. So we thought we'd make a show and every other week share stories from school. Sometimes from teachers to give you a behind the scenes look, but also from business people and moms and dads and grandpas and truck drivers and doctors and anyone else with a story to tell. Because this is such a shared experience, we can all relate. Kind of like the Breakfast Club, bad haircuts and all. Did you know a hummingbird flaps its wings 60 times per second? Per second! It's so fast that they can hover in place and fly backwards. See how many times you can flap your arms per second. No, seriously, do it real quick. Did you get 60? Didn't think so. They're able to do this because they eat half of their body weight in sugar a day. You know how middle schoolers drink a can of Monster and are crazy for three hours? It's kind of the same thing. And they're able to get all of this sugar every day by using their incredibly fast wings and they hover up to flowers and lick the sugar out of them. But here's the interesting part, the conundrum. They need this much sugar so that they can flap their wings fast enough to spend their days obtaining this much sugar. Did the need for sugar make it a really fast bird? Or does being a really fast bird make it need sugar? Which came first? What shaped and formed the hummingbird into what it is now? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. What defines us? Do we have control over it? This is a concept you might be familiar with. Take David. He and his family live in Orlando, Florida, and his story is a powerful example of the self-fulfilling prophecy and what he did to compensate for what he thought he was terrible at. Spoiler alert, he cheated. Here comes the first story. I was always known as a math guy. I was kind of told at a young age that you're either a math person or an English person, never both. And since I was a math person, I wouldn't necessarily excel in writing. And so I didn't. Then, in the eighth grade, everything changed when I got Mrs. Schwanier as my communications teacher. She was a game changer. She was a short woman with gray hair, round glasses, and a northeastern accent. She was tough. She took no excuses. And kids loved her. She was just real with you. Mrs. Schwanier was one of those teachers who, if you were on her naughty list, life in her class was not going to be easy. But if you were on her good side, if you worked hard and had a good attitude, she would fight to the very end for you. 
I was that kid in school who wanted so badly to be on every teacher's good side. I wanted Mrs. Schwanier to like me. So the year started out kind of rough. Every couple of weeks, she would give a new topic for a paper to write, and we would have to write it. She graded very hard, and at that point in my life, I just didn't have any clue on how to write well. So the first couple of papers, I didn't do so well. I passed, but it certainly wasn't knocking them out of the ballpark. And it was killing me, because I just wanted her to like me so badly. I desperately desired her approval. Midway through the first semester, she assigned us to write a paper on the Great Irish Emigration. I was dumbfounded. I didn't know what to do. Sure, I could pull together some important facts, but I didn't know how to do this. I couldn't do this. My mom walked into my room late one night to say goodnight and found me crying over the computer. <laughs> how I wish I could go back and tell my teenage self how every assignment wouldn't determine the rest of my life. Oh well. After telling my mom about it, she volunteered to help me. Now this was amazing. You see, my mom was an unbelievable writer. So this was huge for me. So my mom sat in front of the computer. I would spit out information about the 19th century potato famine and Irishmen fleeing their homelands, and she pieced it all together into a wonderful flowing piece of work. Now let me make this clear though. I gave the information my mom wrote that paper. It might have been inspired by my knowledge, but they weren't my words. To the next day, I handed the paper in. A few days passed and I forgot about it. I was on to the next big worry. Getting into the honor society, or asking Lori Borstelman out on a date, or the big fight that took place on the real world New Orleans the night before. I don't know, whatever it was that week in the eighth grade. So I was sitting in English class, listening to Mrs. Schlunt talk about literature, when there was a knock on the classroom door. In walks Mrs. Schwanier. She asks Mrs. Schlunt if David was in this class. Everyone turns around and looks at me. Mrs. Schwanier and I lock eyes. David, will you stand up, she says, and so I do. Then she just begins slow clapping. and says, this was the best paper I have read all year. You did a magnificent job. Everyone joined in with the clapping. It's strange, because in that moment, I felt so guilty. Because I knew that wasn't a fair assumption of me or my work, and yet the approval felt so good, and I wanted more of it. So I did it again, and again, and again. Every time she assigned a paper, my mom would help me write it. I wish you could see me right now, because if you could, you'd see me use my fingers to air quote the word help. I would give what input I had, and she would filter it and write. Every paper, I would get an A+. And Mrs. Schwanier loved me more and more. Now, I'm not sure why my mom did what she did. Maybe it's because my parents recently divorced and she felt guilty or indebted to me. Maybe she knew that my self-esteem and confidence were at a rock bottom. Maybe she was just trying to live vicariously through me. I don't know. But something happened that year. Because even though I wasn't writing the papers myself, I was learning how to communicate. 
I was learning how to write. I was learning things like nuance and inflection and creativity. At the end of my 8th grade year, I had to take Florida's standardized 8th grade testing. Similar to today's Florida FCAT exams or other end-of-course exams, I had to pass a standardized math and reading exam as well as a writing essay test with a minimum score of 3 out of 6. Now, I wasn't too worried about the math or even the reading, but the writing test scared me a little bit. You see, I had no safety net this time. I had no one to help me. For this one, I was on my own. The day came and I took my test. I had to write a five-paragraph essay on the supplied topic. A few weeks later, time had passed and the scores finally came in. And of course, out of everyone who would be handing out the writing scores, it was Mrs. Schwanier. I remember her talking to the whole classroom about the scores and how she was so proud of how well everyone did. And then she said that there were a few people that she wanted to recognize. That out of the hundreds of 8th grade students on Panagorda Middle School who took the test, there were only six who got perfect writing scores. And three of them were in that room. She went through each person who got a six and the class would clap for each person. And would you believe it if I told you the last person's name she called out was mine? I didn't believe it. I was blown away. It was one of the more proud moments of my life, not just because of the score, although that was great, but because of the look of pride she had in her eyes when she looked at me. It was mine. I earned it and no one else could claim it. I've always found the term self-fulfilling prophecy an interesting concept. You make someone believe something long or hard enough, and they live out the idea that was planted in their head. You tell someone that they can't be good at writing because they're a math person, and they believe it. I was not a good writer at the beginning of that year, but my mom helped me. Whether she was trying to or not, she taught me how to write, and Mrs. Schwanier constantly lifted me up and gave me confidence, even if it wasn't always earned. And by the end of that year, I had finally arrived. It's funny that today, probably one of the most important parts of my job and career as a minister and a leader of others is the ability to communicate, to be able to write and speak clearly, eloquently, and with authority. All things impressed on me by a wonderful teacher who injected confidence in me almost two decades ago. I am so grateful. Oh, and Mrs. Schwanier, if you're listening to this, I hope this story doesn't burst your bubble about me. And I really hope they don't take away my 8th grade diploma. That would really suck. And that's it. The first episode of Stories from School is in the books. Thank you, David, for sharing your story and illustrating a concept that many of us can relate to. This has been a production of Backpack Media. This episode was produced by myself with help from Brad Wilson. To support this project, consider telling your own story. Send a written or recorded summary of your personal narrative to story at bkpkmedia.com. We would love to share your story from school with everyone else. Keep up with stories from school and all of the shows on Backpack Media by visiting bkpk.media. That's bkpk.media. We're also on Twitter at bkpkstories, and I'd love to connect with you myself at Trevor Muir. We will have another great story for you next week. Thank you for listening.